Welcome to the Upper Left Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Jack Anderson, and today on the show, we are joined by Dr. Michelle Boland. Michelle is a trainer in the northeastern region of the United States and currently owns Michelle Boland Training, and you can find that online at michelle-boland-training.com. Michelle has also spent time as a strength and conditioning coach at Northeastern University, which is one of the more forward-thinking college strength and conditioning programs in the country. While attending Springfield College, she received her master's degree in strength and conditioning and exercise physiology, PhD, and was fortunate enough to work with Pat Davidson early in her career, which she credits as keeping her in the strength and conditioning field, and we are all very blessed due to that. Today on the show, Michelle and I discuss how to organize information. I think in the last three months, I know I have been subject to a lot of incredible insights from smart people across the world in strength and conditioning. Uh, This free time for a lot of us coaches has Uh, opened up a bevy of opportunities to learn. But now, what can we do with this knowledge? How can we consolidate it, organize it, and make it practical for us? And Michelle is a master of this. That is the crux of our discussion, and then it transitions nicely into discussing the power of language in client interactions and how to bridge understanding gaps between sport coaches, clients, and athletes. Michelle's thoughtful approach is one I very much appreciate. Uh, I think she's one of the best deep thinkers within the industry, and some of the knowledge she brought to the table here was absolutely incredible, and I had an amazing time conversing with her in full about these topics. So let's just jump right into it. Here is Michelle Boland. Michelle, thanks so much for joining the show. Really appreciate uh, appreciate the time, and uh, I know, obviously, uh, you were, we were just talking about kind of the things that have that have changed recently for both of us in the middle of the, uh, this whole coronavirus thing. So um, before we dive into that and kind of some of the changes that we're talking about, just give me a little bit of background um, on yourself and where you've been the last couple of years. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. First of all, this yeah, is great. Absolutely. I'm very excited. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, so last couple of years, I came from a division one college environment. So I was strength conditioning coach in the collegiate setting. Absolutely loved it. Miss it to death. Um, but then I decided to move on to the private realm, um, and I currently own my own company called Michelle Bowen Training right now. I do remote coaching services, personal training services, and um, right now I'm getting really involved and really enjoying the um, educational kind of platform online. So I've created a few, uh, created uh, two courses now, and I uh, really enjoy like continuously having conversations with trainers and kind of talking through a lot of the course content that I have with them. Yeah, that's, that's honestly one of the reasons why we wanted to talk today, Noel, because you, you told me that you've been pretty into um, taking a lot of information, consolidating it, making it more accessible to people. And I know for myself personally, like there's just been such a plethora of options from coronavirus, just the, the free webinars, people are just giving away a lot of information for free. And, um, I, you know, on one hand, I love it. But on the other hand, I realized like a month ago, like I had to like slow down a bit and kind of actually process what it was that I was just putting into my system. And I know this is something that's kind of been important to you recently. Yeah, absolutely. I think my, my course is very different from others because it's not about acquiring new information. Yes, I'm sure you will learn new things, but it's all about teaching the skills on how to take what you already know, because what you already know is probably enough and can help you succeed, help your client succeed. But it's about um, 
when you do encounter new information, where does that fit in? How can it help you resolve current problems that you're having? How can it help you um, create better situations for your clients instead of it just being, oh, that was, that was great, that was interesting, and then kind of forgetting about it or not really understanding it on the level of kind of your own identity. Yeah, so take me through just a little bit of that then with, with um, for example, let's say young coaches in particular, like I remember being introduced and I'm, I don't know a ton about PRI, but I was you know introduced to it when I was a GA about five years ago and I've gradually accumulated some understanding of it um, through some great people that, that know a lot about it. But I know now when I try to, you know, when I talk to other young coaches about that or similar topics, it can be very overwhelming because it isn't something that uh, they, they kind of have cut their teeth with, for example. And I think some of these things, they may or may not be important, but I think a lot of them have a lot of value. So how do you kind of get someone uh, to understand that value and to loop it into their line of thinking? Yeah, absolutely. So any system you come across, whether it's FRC, FMS, PRI, um, you know, people throw these things around a lot without really truly providing um, an understanding of them. And it, it can be very threatening um, to, you know, your peers or your listeners that you have. So PRI stands for Postural Restoration Institute, and they're in just an amazing, amazing, amazing educational system. And I mean, I think I've been to about 12, 13 courses now, and it's getting very popular in the strength conditioning environment and setting because it's extremely useful if you know how to integrate the information. And I think that is a skill that a lot of people lack is the ability to implement and extract um, information in conceptual terms. So can you take you know, the algorithms they give you, the step-by-step -step process, the test intervention retest type of activities and create abstract or um, ideas that are just like general notions to condense like commonalities between information. And if you can do that, if you have the skill, I mean, these are, these are what the best like leaders in the profession do, then you can completely take the, that information and integrate into what you do with your clients on a daily basis. And I think the biggest skill comes to, can you turn that information into the level of understanding of your listener? So you just said PRI. So I've heard a lot of trainers and PTs over the years um, provide rationale for what they're doing with these acronyms. And the level of understanding of their clients have no idea what they are talking about. So you're either going to make two mistakes. You're going to associate either the successes of what you're doing or the failures of what you're doing with that acronym. So now it's not you helping them succeed. It's the system that you keep stating for your rationale that is helping them succeed. So why are they coming to you? Um, and then same thing with, with failures. And so we, we really need to kind of develop these skills to take information from everything. Like these systems, our mentors, our internship experiences, our different schools of thought. 
everything is so useful, but instead of just embedding yourself into a system, providing rationale based on just the name of the system, which is going to go over the head of your listener, can you actually have the skills to turn those things into, especially like jargon terminology, into the level of your own understanding and the understanding of your listeners? Um, and I think, I think that's kind of like what a lot of people are missing in the realm. Yeah, you, so you mentioned like concepts and a little bit more like abstract thinking. And to be honest, that's yeah. kind of, at least I think, something that I, I love and am pretty good at. And when it comes to, um, I think this is something that's, that's developed for me over time, though, because I feel when I was younger, if someone told me about this, I'd want it like the FMS, for example. You know, the first time I heard about the FMS, I'm like, wow, this thing does all these amazing things. And, and, uh, and you know, I need to know how to do it. I need the practical application. And I, and like, you know, when you get like a manual for something like that, you skip through the concepts, you go right to the practical application. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And so, okay, so great. You know how to do the methods, but we're not getting the concepts. And to me, I think that's what you're talking about here. Like that allows us some creativity and allows us to kind of improvise and do stuff on our own. Right. Absolutely. Like usually it's, we're all kind of saying the same things we're just using different terminology from different systems to talk to those about those things. So you mentioned FMS, like a huge concept that FMS gave us all kind of in the beginning is a test intervention retest. And then if you understand that kind of sequence or path as an abstract concept, you can connect that into everything that you've kind of learned so far and the decisions that you make as a coach. Yeah, I, I really like where you're, I didn't even, I never even thought about that as being like one of the takeaway concepts of the FMS. That's actually really, it's actually really good. Cause I mean, it's something you always think about, like we test, retest now, but, and, and this is probably something like predates me being in the field. Cause I first started getting pretty into it like 2015. So that's kind of something that you just kind of, you see happening all the time, test, retest. But I guess then like for someone that five years before that, maybe that wasn't as commonly done as a strength coach. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's what the FMS kind of, of gave us as a strength conditioning field. I think that was definitely in like the PT realm before rehab realm. But now we've kind of understand the importance of assessment, no matter like what you do, assessments, evaluations, and how you actually using that information to make the decisions that you're making directed towards an outcome. So whether that's, you know, performance on the field or general population clients, um, um, like, or body composition goals, things like that. Do you, now, do you see the the desire for is the desire for practical application among younger coaches like king for them? Is that like are they do they do they ignore like am I right in assuming like from what you're seeing they're kind of ignoring like these overarching takeaways that might be more beneficial in the long run? Yeah, I would say it's just a it's a part of the journey. I don't they're ignoring them. I think they just maybe lack the skills to be able to see these things because they don't have even a really good foundation yet. Um, I think that's why like our leaders in the field provide people that kind of information because they've had these years and years of experience acquiring knowledge. And then the information that they kind of give out has a lot to do with how they've consolidated that information. So it allows these kind of like young trainers to see these older people or latch on to like mentors and systems because they've already done like the work for them. And in the beginning, it's totally fine to 
um, you know, learn a system and implement that system because I think it's a it's a good learning strategy because you'll learn from your your failures. You'll get to see how another person or a company um, creates procedures or plans for things. But then, after a while, you you're not expressing yourself. You're not expressing a, a coaching identity for you. You're just trying to fit into something else. So I would say, like, as a young trainer. Um, just expose yourself to many different things instead of just latching on to maybe the first system or mentor that um, you resonate with. Yeah, I, I really like that a ton. And I think that for a long time, like even though, and that we are told like these common things, like there is no magic bullet, you know, just a tool in the toolbox. But until you like actually like gravitate towards something that you think is the thing, and are proven wrong, like it's hard to sometimes really understand like the magnitude of one of those types of statements, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And it's basically just like, like young trainers don't even have buckets where they can put new information in. So I think the skill of creating categories or the skills of where to put that information in for understanding, that's, that's something that needs to be developed over time. Do you think, um, I'll be completely honest and I don't, again, I don't want to put you on the spot, but like for me, I feel like my grad program left me like woefully underprepared. Luckily I kind of like caught on within a few months and like did four internships at once, like was just doing all the crazy things that, you know, young strength coaches do. And luckily like I was smart enough to realize like me just sitting in the classroom, getting the information that's being provided at an academic level where I was anyway, was just not going to be enough. And it really, if I had relied on that and come out and been like, I have a master's degree in a CSCS, like I would not have been ready for any of the jobs that I had coming out of school. I mean, I completely understand yeah. that. If you know me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you know me on like a personal level, like I'm very outspoken about my disappointment in like the academic system. Um, I mean, they basically had to kick me out. I loved being in school so much. Like I could have just said forever. But they finally were like, yeah, you're done. Please get out of here. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but one of the things I am disappointed at, you know, after that experience, I think I'm better able to understand like where the gaps were and maybe how I can help others fill those is they didn't, give you kind of an end result to work backwards from. They didn't give you like a rationale for why it's important to develop these skills. Um, you know, for example, like why do you have to write papers? Like wh what's the significance behind that? You know, I'm a big like Jordan Peterson fan and like he'll give an explanation of, you know, because it will, it will make you kind of good at everything else. It will make you like a weapon. If you can give coherent explanations for things if you can write effectively if you can um, create coherent arguments for things like there's nothing stopping you in yeah. your uh, like trajectory for your career um yeah i was actually a lucky son of a gun and i ran into pat davison at springfield <laughs> college and uh, you know i got through my master's program in cscs just like you and I almost didn't go into strength conditioning. I just completely lost interest in it. And, you know, he was a professor there and he was actually, I think my 
thesis advisor. I chose him and he had a great conversation with me after I presented my thesis and um, talked about like moving forward and whatnot. And he just exposed me to so many different types of things. And PRI was obviously one of them, but it's just, it's kind of just, once you switch your lens of how you view things or you're allowed to see something from a different perspective, it just gives you so much like passion and drive and allows you kind of like this creative drive to be like, oh, I can change like this perception of what I'm going to be doing. And I think that that was like highly motivating for me. Uh, I do want to mention you had to present your and defend your thesis to Pat Davidson. That's a scare. I know you guys are, are buds and everything, but that's kind of scary. <laughs> he was probably the least scariest. Like, oh, Pat, really? Pat can be scary, but like he has a sweet side to him. Um, I think that was, I tell that story all the time to people. I tell it like the, my first day of my course to all the students because I consider it like one of my biggest like turning points in my life slash failures. And I appreciate that he was a part of that because, you know, I, I could, like academics I took, I took seriously, but I didn't really have to work too hard for it. And I went into my thesis and, you know, these professors, people, a lot scarier than Davidson were popping off questions at me and I don't think I was prepared as well as I thought I was so you know I ended up passing but after you know he sat me down and was like you know you passed you did good enough but he was like I expect a lot more from you and you know if you're going moving forward because I was at that point I knew that I was going beyond my master's degree he was like you need to kind of just gave me like a little kick in the butt a little bit. And that's the thing I'd probably appreciate more than anything else in my life that happened to me because I had a, like fire under me um, going beyond that in my academic studies. So that kind of failure, even though I did pass, by the way, <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a good like turning point for me. So, so I'm curious then what, what made you think about not like entering the field when you were done? Was it, what was kind of the 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 reason for that um, I'm not a very like hoorah type of person um the pro <laughs> um shocking I know right um, <laughs> too analytical <laughs> too smart for the rest of us <laughs> no, no. um it's just like the program is very geared towards very big focus on especially college collegiate level programming um and you know, I didn't really resonate with, I didn't really want to coach like football players. Um, you and me both. It, you and me both. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It had a lot to do with, you know, Olympic style, um, like barbell strength conditioning and um, reg very regimented programming and kind of coaching from a perspective of driving home discipline and kind of like a mili military environment. And I think that's something I really didn't resonate with. Um, I don't like yelling in people's faces. Um, I don't know. I think at the time I just thought that that's what it was. You know, I didn't real, I didn't have a lot of experience underneath my belt at other places. And then it wasn't until I started interning other places. I interned um, at Amherst college with Chris Boyko and he was amazing phenomenal it's probably one of my best experiences and that kind of changed my mind a little bit about things and then when I interned at Northeastern I knew like wow 
this is a lot different and they are absolutely amazing. And my time at Northeastern probably changed me as a strength conditioning coach in the quickest amount of time and the most drastic amount of changes. I probably got more out of that experience than I did like my academic experience. But, and you know, that's one thing I wish that I had a little more knowledge of when I was picking internships. I had some great internships, don't get me wrong, but I never had one that I think broke the mold of what you just previously talked about. And to be honest, like it's never really been my bag either. Like I'm not a very regimented person. I'm very like free flowing and casual. And like, I prefer my athletes to feel that way when they're in the weight room too, for the most part. So, um, it would have been, I think good. Yeah. That's kind of like a good tip for like young trainers of like, when you, when you go to like interview for internships, interview them as much as they're interviewing you. hundred percent. They should have like a huge curriculum. They should have things outlined that they're going to teach you. And that's the best experience. And they should take continuing education very seriously. I know like Northeastern, we had, you know, two to three seminars or courses every year that they paid for their staff to go to. And that's just, that sets people apart. Yeah. I, I tell the, actually it's funny cause I've been, uh, one of the cool things with this is like, now that I kind of like put myself out there a little bit, like I've had a lot of young coaches reach out to me about interviews and I always tell them like, I flip the interview. I come in with questions and then make it a conversation. And now they have to prove to me that like they're worthy of me in this interview, if that makes sense, you know, like not to sound like arrogant or cocky, but like they should that want me as care. much. As, yeah. They should want me as much as I should want to work there. And if it's not mutual, I don't, I don't understand why you'd work there. You know, <laughs> so. Well, interns like need to bring things to the table yeah. just as much as the internship needs to provide education for them. Um, and it, that shows you care. That shows you've put t- time and effort into like your thought process. So as long as you you know come across it as like egotistical jerk then exactly yeah and it's like i say like you want to flip the table subtly and like make it conversational you're not mm-hmm. challenging their authority or anything you just want to see what they're going to provide for you you know yeah when i had interviews because i did the when i worked at northeastern university i was in charge of the uh, internship program and I wouldn't make it an interview. I would just want to talk to an intern on the phone and just see if I can hold a conversation with them. Um, Cause you know, if it's just going to be like a Q and a, or you're not going to really kind of converse with me too much. I don't know if this is, you. I don't know if it's not fair to you cause you're probably not going to get the, the most from the internship. If, if you know, you don't want to kind of ask me questions and back and forth. Yeah, hundred, hundred percent. I flipping back real quick. I love what you mentioned about writing papers and finding the end goal and then working your way back. And I was actually talking to uh, another coach about this the other day where he was like, man, why do all these internships have you write like a 12 week program for something generic? They never tell you what it's a basketball player. That's it. And you got to write 12 weeks. And then we hear like some of these same people going like, oh, you have to coach the athlete, not the sport. It just seems like all backwards and we're not working from that point, like you said, at that end point and then working your way back, you know? Yeah. At some level, it needs there like the, people like young coaches need to show like a thought process and that's probably what the goal is for that. But yeah, like I agree with kind of, I, I don't like, you know, 12, 24 week programs like laid out for people because then the, people just get locked into that too much. But I think we just need to give people assignments um, to kind of show that they're well, that's, doing something. That's what I hate. I just hate that. I'm like, 
Well, okay, if you want me to do this assignment, like, let's talk about it. Don't give me like three bullet points and then kind of turn me loose. Like, and again, maybe like I'm overestimating like the capabilities of some of the young coaches. Like for me, when I was given that assignment in grad school, I'd be like, all right, I guess we're gonna, we're gonna back squat. I guess we're gonna, you know, dumbbell row afterwards. It's like, I could do this in my sleep. (laughs) Like, like, come on, we got to do something a little different here. (laughs) Yeah. Some of like the best categorical thinking has come from people like Mike Boyle. And, um, I think that what separated interns in my mind when they did, I mean, we, I did the same thing. They had to make a program and present it. But if you're going to stand up there and be like, we did three sets of five for the back spot and blah, blah, blah. And like, take me through the program that way. It's, it's, it's the principle kind of in concept idea that we just referred to of like, yeah, you have exercises on a piece of paper, but can you tell me what they represent? Can you tell me what they stand for, what they mean? Um, um, how you're using what you've learned to like base your decisions off of. That, those are the people who stood out to me. Um, yeah, and I guess, I guess honestly, like, it's, it, it, like we just have been saying about all this, it's a two-way street. Like if, I, if I'm the intern and I come to you and I really want to like develop this program out, and you're going to give me the time to help me, then it's perfect. But I think more often than not, from what I'm hearing from people is, is like I, the intern might be like the ones I'm talking to are curious. They come to the, the boss of the situation and that boss is like, I'll just figure it out. And it's like, well, no, it's not, that's not what this internship is really supposed to be about here. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. If I could do it all over again, I would structure it so like so differently. I would have them, you know, create principles and which are just like phrases that support like your chain of reasoning. So like, what can you discern principles or qualities from myself and the other coaches who are in that department and then go through their programs and circle and write how they took methods and strategies on a program and how that relates to like what they believe in. That, that would, that's how I would structure it. That's right awesome. That's awesome. I'm glad you're providing solutions because I'm just the old man yelling at a cloud over here right now. So that's, that's good. One of us is, is providing the solutions on this. Uh, <laughs> um, so the other thing I wanted to talk to you about, like transitioning, I think it transitions pretty seamlessly, actually, is, um, you know, we, we are acquiring all this information. We're trying to consolidate it and work on it, and, and especially as young coaches. And then it comes time to actually like put it into practice with a client or a team or an athlete or something like that. Um, and you even referenced it saying like, we don't want to attribute what we're doing to, this is PRI and you introduce the entire system of PRI to someone necessarily. So yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so what kind of language are you looking to use when you're getting with someone that you haven't been with before uh, and you're trying to like implement some of these concepts, but in a way that doesn't overwhelm them, they don't need to know all the ins and outs, et cetera. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a little different. And so I think this, I, different when I say that, and just mean like I, I act differently when I'm talking to a trainer versus in like a trainer, like peer versus when I'm talking to my general population clients. And I think that's a huge mistake that people make. And I think the per, perception people give, the perception of what people give um, of themselves on like social media um, I think changes that. And when I say that, I mean, I think I've made the mistake in the past of like, say I post an exercise and I explain it with kind of like what goes on in my head. 
and that is very different than how I would explain it to like a, a client that I'm giving that exercise to. I use very simple terminology. I, I will make the rationale related to like their overall goal. So if someone's a golfer, a hockey player, I'm just saying how that's helping them with that sport or, you know, their body composition goals, things like that. Um, maybe they're, they recognize they can extend their hip further back on one side than the other or something like that. I'm just relating it to that goal. Um, I'm careful in the language I use of making sure I explain things that isn't good or bad. So if someone says to me or a question of, you know, is this the right way or, you know, why I learned it this way. So why are you doing it the other way? I'm just, I just say, you know, it's just a different way. We're just going to try it. I want to know how it feels, how you like it. And then we kind of have a back and forth, but um, I definitely want to make sure that I'm explaining things not to make myself look smart to my actual clients. It's just making, I'm using the information that I know to make the decisions for the betterment of them, but they don't need to know like all these in and outs, nor do they probably like really care. Yeah. And I know as someone myself, like I've made that mistake before and you lose, you lose the client pretty much immediately. They're like, I don't care about any of what you're saying right now. You know? Yeah. I, of course we've all made those mistakes. You know, when I first got into, you know, everyone makes these mistakes. They first learn a system and then they say, they just do everything that they've kind of learned. And then they say, things like, oh, your, your hips are messed up or they're tilted a certain way. And like, you're just basically telling the client that there's something wrong with them. And I think you need to kind of step back from that. Yeah. I, I think that's really interesting. Cause I, I, um, you know, the last sitting I was in with the military, there's, there's a very, like, everything's either right or it's wrong in a lot of cases, like in, in their entire culture, you know? And so when you go in and you're just coaching these guys, like they expect you to tell them like, this is wrong about you and you need to fix this. And it's like, well, it doesn't really work that way. Like we're, we're all kind of on a, a continuum with each movement and we might need to tweak some things here and there, but like, you know, I get, for example, the, the ACFT is the new army combat fitness test and everybody wants to know what the best way to, to pull the trap bar deadlift off the ground is. And it's like, it, it could be anything. I need to see you. Like, it's not like one way. You know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> In, you're not always going to do things one way and it's always not good or bad. Um, yeah. No, I love, I love that you're saying that about like not good or bad. I don't, do you do talk to Joel Smith Smith much? I know you were on his podcast. I think one time a couple of years ago. Yeah. I think I've been on the podcast one or two times, but not yeah. on a regular basis. <laughs> you're not, you're not one of, you're not uh, a Darian bar. He gets like every, every five or six episodes. Of Joel. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, um, uh, but no, I love that Joel has been talking about like, like the living set and like altering things within a set sometimes like randomly changing a tempo for an athlete halfway through a set like yeah. that looks good let's slow that down or you feel that there like let's move this one with more velocity like and you even mentioned rigidity earlier and like i i really abhor rigidity and so like and you know the life of an athlete in particular can be very monotonous so like let's find little ways to shake it up so that they realize that there's a lot of fluidity that can happen in training Mm -hmm. And yeah, and on the opposite spectrum, general population clients, all they want is like novelty and like things, like new little shiny toys, right? Yeah, and I do that a lot. Like, say we'll have like three sets of something, like 
they could be doing a different variation in each one of those sets or the intent can be different. So like say you're doing just maybe like a static hold, maybe you add static hold and then a few like fast reps and then at the end it's all just fast reps. So like changing it that way, but you're also progressing them at the same time and it's helping them learn better because now you can connect things as you move along. Mm -hmm. Now, You've worked a bit too in um, obviously the college setting, like you said, and, and so therefore you had to have interactions with sport coaches. And one of the things I'm really interested in right now is helping kind of bridge the gap, the understanding gap of what we do with them. And then on the flip side, us understanding what they do, because ultimately, and this ties back to our, our initial point, like we need to work from the sport back in my opinion, you know, and I think Fergus yeah. and some other people have said some really good things about that. So I, what was the relationship like with your coaches and were you able to kind of like build and, and what was the best way to build that relationship? Was it more coming from your point of view or their point of view? Well, that's a great question. Um, I love the whole idea of building back from a sport. And I think that's so smart of you have to always work backwards from something, right? So like dissecting the sport, things that they need to be able to do well, things that they're doing a lot. So maybe they need to be exposed to other other things, you know, is that expo um, exposure causing certain limitations? I think, I think that's great. Um, I had varying experiences. Uh, there were some coaches that just had zero respect for anything a strength conditioning coach um, wanted to say or do. Um, they used them as like kind of a scapegoat for when things went wrong. Um, and that's just, this is not like, has anything to do with the coach. It just has them as like personal characteristics or lack of, you know, personal values and all that jazz. Um, and then I was able to have great experiences with some coaches who really just let me do what I wanted to do. And we had meetings weekly where we exchanged kind of information about, hey, this is the practice plan. Okay, great. This is how I'm going to kind of fit in with your practice plan so I had like both experiences both um, varying tools um, when there was technology involved I think that created a better avenue for communication because I could actually show them data saying like you know when you practice them a certain way this is what happens to various types of players and who we need to keep our eyes on and how I'm going to change things in the weight room because of this. Um, so when you can have conversations related to how people respond differently, I think that's a great way to get in there and then have conversations in relation to what they're doing and how you can support them. Uh, those are probably the best avenues for a communication. Yeah. I, I'm very intrigued by coming at it because I feel like a lot of times and I think this myself too especially a few years ago like when I was at the d3 level with a bunch of coaches so I had just countless different relationships and interactions um, but one thing that I thought think always I I failed on was was never talking to them just about the game in general it always came down to like and it was sometimes even them because like, oh, it's the weight guy. Okay, what are you going to do in the weight room to like help us out on the basketball court, for example, you know? And for me, I never went to a practice and was like, what are you doing here with this drill? Like, what's going on with this? And I don't even look at it through my lens anymore. I try to look at it through like the coach's lens on the basketball court. And I think like it's hard to do because we don't – it's hard for us. But like if a coach is making effort to come down to our realm and start talking in our terms, like we really need to try to reciprocate that, you know? 
And I also, I think that is a phenomenal way. Like if you can speak, it's, it's all about, again, speaking on the level of understanding of your listener. Um, I think a, a thing where it kind of, string conditioning fights for kind of respect or how we're represented or our like intelligent levels. But I think a lot of the things like I saw people fail at is kind of trying to highlight what they value to be important or when I'm saying that and coaches kind of just think, you know, just moving weight, moving more weight or doing certain types of exercises was our only kind of role or responsibility. And I think I've, I've seen a lot of like difficult conversations related to, you know, having your athlete do a back squat um, isn't going to make them better on the field or having your athlete move more load with a trap bar deadlift isn't kind of going to get them to their goals because I think they associate um, those things solely to like what we do. So having, conversations about skill on the court or um, motor learning type of activities, coordination development, um, and having coaches see us as an avenue to get better at those things as well, and how you're just kind of adding resistance to coordination training, which they're probably trying to make um, as their goal and practices. Um, that's probably where the field is moving and what we can be really good with in the performance realm. But I think we're struggling and fighting against people's perception of the only thing that matters is quote unquote strength, like whatever that means more so just like moving load. Louder for the people in the back, please. That was, (laughs) that was gold. That was really good. So that's exactly what I'm thinking about when we talk about this, like, there's so much more to what we could provide because I think the good strength coaches are aware of so many other things, the nervous system, et cetera, all these other things that just can take a more holistic view of the athlete. And that is something I think like old school coaches on both sides of the coin, like to me, it seems like they miss sometimes is Mm -hmm. like the athlete's still a human. Like, yes, we want to win. We want all this success, but like we also need to be kind of in tuned with like their particular needs. And the only way we can do that is like we've been saying this whole time is to have more conversations and to relate to them on a level that matters. Cause again, I worked in like the NFL, the NBA for a brief period of time, like the NHL a little bit, like half these dudes don't give a shit about what I do. So I have to find a better way to connect with them, you know? Oh, absolutely. And you know, showing them that we can work on things like that. Like, Hey, um, I notice like a lack of rotation when your athlete shoots rotating to their right. Um, let me show you how I could probably help them with that and increase the, their shooting speed through that. Um, these are the type of exercises that we're doing. And then, but if we keep testing this athlete with, you know, their back squat and maxes and PRs constantly, let me explain why that probably could negatively affect this goal. And then maybe they could be like, oh, okay, like that's what we're trying to do here. Yeah. Do you, do you think, cause you said you think the field is going this way. Uh, do you think that it's, it's something that's really going to take hold like across the entire profession or do you think it's going to kind of be like niche populations that are understanding that again, the weight room is just a tool as well or loading, yeah. I guess, heavy loading strategies more than anything else. <laughs> um, it, it's different cultures. It's different like worlds. You know, we are, we're all kind of like lost in, 
um, our own like little worlds and people who we interact with and believe the same things we do and talk the certain languages <laughs> we do. Right. So it's like, yeah, I say that as like, that's where the field's moving because like, that's the people I'm surrounding myself with uh, like type of coaches, but um, getting like expanding your network and getting to other types of environments. Like, like I mean, I can't really speak for like the collegiate football realm, but like putting mass and size on athletes is probably pretty important for that sport. And I don't know if that kind of realm will ever really get out of that direction. Yeah. That's, that's beautifully said. Yeah. I, I completely agree. Cause I'm, I've kind of like been in this thought process now for the last about year, I think just because of the people I've been surrounded by, but this coronavirus, like I've talked to more people. I'm like, Oh, my views aren't as like widespread as I thought they were, you know, like, yeah, 100%. yeah. 100%. <laughs> no, this is awesome, Michelle. This is great stuff. This is really, um, you know, everything I was hoping to, to touch. And then, then finally, uh, you had that post on hard work, which I thought was really interesting because that and mental toughness are like two words that we like throw out there and for everyone, it could mean something completely different. And you broke down like every possible component of what hard work could mean to somebody. And I think it like is really important to understand that like just those two words or just the two words of mental toughness could, could mean almost anything to anyone. And like, mm. I just thought that, I thought it was really good post. So. Thank you. No, it's just like, I don't know. I kind of get fed up sometimes when I hear things like repeated, but um, without kind of like context behind it or yeah. just explaining yourself a little bit more. So when people yell at people or tell them they're not working hard enough, like, well, what are you actually like saying? And, you know, I was pretty careful my last, you know, year in the collegiate setting of like what I celebrated. And it's like, did I just celebrate and highlight someone getting a PR or moving heavier load? Or did I just say, great job, move on really quickly and celebrate them like helping a teammate out or showing a teammate how to do something where now I'm telling them that's more valuable to me than moving weight. And, you know, hard work is basically just like the basis for everything you desire to achieve. So it's where you're going to um, focus your attention to. And that's not just physical hard work. That's, it could be like body awareness. Like, can you understand, um, where your body is in space. Can you feel the right things? Can you express humility and gratitude? Can you have a perspective that like this hour in the weight room isn't the only thing you should be doing to um, be related to like the betterment of your goal? Yeah. So you're going I, out and drinking yeah, a six pack yeah, yeah, yeah. and helping things. Hey, they're working hard. Okay. That's hard yeah. work. <laughs> For me, drinking six beers would be probably the biggest chore of my entire life right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, uh, that's so funny. No, um, that's, that's awesome. I really like that. Um, because we do get kind of caught up with like a one track mind of what hard work is. And there are so many more components to it than we're, we're giving credit, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, the last year I was in the collegiate setting, I mean, speaking for everyone, but I just saw coaches do such a shitty job. It's like taking responsibility for a position of influence over very like, uh, very like age range where you can have a high amount of influence. So like 18 to 22 year olds, like 
like they're so intelligent. You have so many great conversations with them, but I saw this huge separations and completely like not really caring about like the person like over just like what they're doing on the field or what grades they're getting and just like punishment kind of relationships. And my goal was to kind of really just try to create conversations with these athletes as a team of like what these things mean. Like what, what does the word respect mean? Like what does the word like integrity mean? And having those types of conversations as like my kind of, I wanted to have more of an influence than just how to show them how to exercise like currently and exercise like what happens when they leave like this training environment. Yeah, I, I love that. And I know like for myself, those things are kind of like ingrained in me thanks to like good parenting and just being around positive influences <laughs> for most of my life. But like, I tend to forget sometimes like I can say that once for, you know, I have a 14 year old client right now, but like he doesn't remember that five minutes later. I have to repeat it over and over and mm -hmm. over and, and also find a way to make it fresh so that it doesn't sound like you're not uh, just harping on something that you think is bad, that is bad that they're doing. And it's such a fine balance when you're in a position of authority, I feel like. Exactly. And like sport coaches in general, I feel like they only really truly, inter well, I'm not saying this about all of them, but only really interact with athletes when something negative happens, right? Because yeah. they have like assistant coaches who probably yeah. <laughs> yeah, that handle that other stuff. Yeah. 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 That's really, really interesting point. Um, so, uh, Michelle, before I let you go, uh, I know you said you had a couple projects you're working on, whatever you want to promote, Instagram, any other socials, any projects, website, whatever, please have at it. Yeah, cool. Yeah, if anyone wants to kind of reach out to me, um, I'm pretty active on Instagram uh, at dr.michellebowen. And then, yeah, I kind of have a lot of the stuff I've we talked about before related to learning is through my strategy course i have that online you can kind of do it on your own or i have a group classroom which is a very virtual kind of we do it kind of together so we have two calls per week and i'm trying to try to do this about three times a year my next one starts in the fall and i have like a sign up wait list on my instagram profile and then also in a few weeks i'm actually coming out with my second edition of my exercise database which is over like 500 exercises. first one is dope i have that one it's yeah great. thank yeah. you appreciate <laughs> <Yeah>. that <laughs> so like the second one is like triple the amount and it's basically all the videos i've collected from like professional like video shoots with um someone who i'm instructing all the way down to like a brief technique video that i tape to be able to send to one of my remote clients and it's just like, it's going to save you a massive amount of time if you want to grow your online training business. Cause it's just like, you have my full permission to use any of the private video links with your clients. And, um, yeah, so I'm pretty excited about that. That, uh, that warm up, one of, you had like a, a generic warm up in the first one that I, I ran through mass one the second time last summer. Cause I had a training partner. I did it alone the time before. And, uh -huh. uh, and so it was just horrible. So I was like, I'm gonna get a training partner and like really try to push the volume. And I just wrecked myself. It was awesome, but I wrecked myself. And all I did was a lot of your stuff uh, and that sample program you gave out, like to kind of just like ease back in. And I remember doing that, one of the warmups with like the, some of the inchworm stuff and the, the, the oh, Komodo crawl. 
I was dying. I was like, this is yeah. worse than mass. Like, <laughs> Seriously, literally, the best warm up I give people is one of those like crawling routines. Oh, it's awful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it, will, it looks so simple. You're like, oh, I'm just going to do like these few exercises for like 10 yards. And then like people are just dying after like 10 minutes. Dude, and then it's like, I, oh, I started at like five yards on a lot of them too, and yeah. I'm still sucking some wind. Like my abs were on fire. So. Yeah, I'll go five yards. And be like, all right, I've had enough. I'm yeah, ready that's to go. good. This is fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's training cool. today. Right, we're done. Um, exactly. So awesome, awesome. Any anything else you want to promote? Sorry, I didn't mean to kind of like jump in there. I had to. No, that's good. Yeah, that's where people can find me. Um, and uh, thanks for listening. Awesome. Yeah, this was such a fun conversation, Michelle. Really, thank you ton for this. Um, I definitely have a lot of takeaways from it, so I appreciate it. 